Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have uh, Paul Robinson, who literally has saved my life many years ago. I talk about him in my book. I've talked about him on many podcasts. He was on previously, episode 235 of the Primal Blueprint podcast, talking about his book, Recovering with T3, which is specifically about T3-only treatment for people with hypothyroidism. However, he has thankfully come out with a wonderful new book called The Thyroid Patient's Manual, From Hypothyroidism to Good Health Using T4 T3 NDT or T3 uh, T4 combination. And um, welcome back to the show, Paul. Thank you very much, Elle. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, I I, I really, um, to this day, I was just talking to someone this morning, um, a, a coaching client, and I said, listen, if you're going to go down this direction of going on T3 only with your doctor, you must get Paul's book. Your book, Recovering with T3, was my Bible. And it's why... On this podcast and elsewhere to the audience, I only suggest ever two other thyroid authors, um, Paul and Janie Bolthorpe. Paul's books are amazing, and he also discovered an incredible method for people who are suffering with adrenal issues on T3 called the circadian, circadian T3 dosing method. So those are things to look into, but today we're going to talk about um, overall the different dosing with these various uh, hormones. You know, you've... Um, You've seen so much over the years. I guess, um, <laughs> I mean, we both have. Can you just tell us, uh, you know, your T3-only journey ended up in hindsight. Can you tell us about the enzyme and the inability to convert D4 a little bit and why you had to go to the last choice resort? Yep, I can do that. Um, I didn't, to be honest, know exactly what had caused the problems for me until just about 18 months or a year ago, I kind of instinctively knew what was going on when I was sick, which is like, you know, we're talking about it began 30 years ago. That's a long, long, long time. And I knew something was very, very wrong. And I knew the T4 they were giving me wasn't working well. It was just working horribly. And and even though my labs looked kind of okay, I was still feeling dreadful. Um, and I knew instinctively right back then that the medication, the, the Synthroid or the Levothyroxine, the T4 medication, was just not working properly. And I had read enough to know already that the chances were that it was not converting to enough T3 active thyroid hormone for me personally. And I proposed that theory to the many, many endocrinologists, the so-called experts, and they just dismissed it. They said, your labs are okay. And I said, well, what if they've moved? What if they've shifted from a really nice high level to now the kind of kind of mediocre, poor level they're at? And they just ignored me. Anyway, um, I think about 18 months ago, um, I did the test for the two really critical enzymes that are essential in the body to convert T4 to T3. And T4 
is the is the hormone that comes from synthroid from levothyroxine and it's relatively inert it doesn't do a lot in the body it does very little if it didn't convert to the active biological hormone t3 you wouldn't get any benefit from it at all however the cells in the body need to make two little enzymes in order to make that conversion happen they're called d1 and D2, they stand for the, the two different types of deiodinase enzymes. They, they're technically they're responsible for whipping off an iodine atom from T4 and making it into the active T3. But let's not go into that too much. But you need to be able to make them well. And some people don't make them in enough quantity. Some people don't make them in enough quality. And um, and there are two issues there. Um, they're very different issues, but they're both really important to thyroid patients. Um, there are, in some people, there are genetic defects that they inherited from their parents that prevent them from producing really good quality D1 and D2 enzymes. Some people have a problem converting, a problem producing D1. Some people have a problem producing D2. Um, I can go into more details on all that, but basically, in my case, I found out 18 months ago that, lo and behold, I, my mother and father were so kind to me. <laughs> they were really generous. <laughs> they they gave me a copy each of both the defects. So basically, in my case, I have the gene defects labeled DIO1 and DIO2 that basically mean I, I, I am likely to be very poor at making good quality D1 and D2 deiodinase enzymes. So when the cells make the enzymes, my enzymes are not going to be as good as they should be. They'll be less effective. They will do something, but I will never get the quantity of t3 that i should get from t4 so therefore i'm deficient and we would be deficient on t4 therapy is the bottom line and and the interesting thing about it all is that and the geneticists still don't understand all this sometimes these gene defects uh don't appear to do anything much until a person reaches a certain age maybe it's a certain stress level maybe it's a certain diet i don't know but usually they sort of kick in in the late 20s, mid 30s, which is exactly what happened to me. And yeah, so I've got both of these defects and it, it's a, you know, I'll never, I'll never operate well on T4 medication. And I want to, and what I love about this discovery is so, and so for someone listening um, who might say, well, can I improve that enzymatic? Uh, is there something I can take? Can I, can I change this? Um, it seems to me the answer would be, hey, that's just the the lot you were given, but it also goes to show you if you're out there and you have a reverse T3 problem and, um, you know, you're, you're fixing, you're trying to fix it via other ways and, you know, selenium and all sorts of things, heavy metals, there's lots of things that contribute to it. But at some point there may be, you know, a situation like yours where you're just, it's, it, you have the inability. And so therefore your only choice is T3. For people listening, both Paul Robinson and I are on T3 only, which means we don't take any T4 whatsoever. Um, that right there to a lot of doctors completely freaks them out. 
<laughs> now, <laughs> as you know. Uh, so a lot of doctors I've noticed, Paul, are like, okay, well, I'm willing to, to experiment with you with T3, but we want to make sure you get some T4. So we're going to give you half a grain or, or 45 milligrams of NDT in the morning, and then the rest of the day you can take T3. I kind of have a feeling you know what your answer is on that, but can you tell us why that's a little bit of a faulty, um, you know, philosophy there? I think it's a great question. Um, I think it's faulty because doctors appear to me to operate. This is this is I'm not I I hate generalization. And my my point is going to be about generalization anyway. Uh, There are some doctors that really understand this well. Some of the thyroid researchers who are also doctors completely get this. But there are many doctors who see thyroid patients as a mass of people that have the same issue and need the same solutions. And unfortunately, um, that's not the case. I mean, if you've got a thousand thyroid patients, there are going to be I'm going to make some numbers up here just to to illustrate the example. There are going to be 300 of them that actually do pretty well on T4 and convert it well, and that's fine. There are going to be some that maybe don't do quite so well that that can maybe, maybe work on their diet, maybe work on their heavy metals, maybe make sure that, that individual nutrients like B12, which is important in conversion of T4 to T3, and other things like selenium are, are really in a good place. They can do those things and they can improve their conversion somewhat. So they're a different category as well. There are some patients, whatever they do, they will need some element of T3. So by the time you've added up all those 1,000 people, there are different categories. The scientists would call those cohorts, different groups that have different needs. And, um, you know, you can't fight that. When when there's a group that has a serious need for extra T3 medication because there's nothing they can do, to fix the problems that they've got. You have to have them given the right medication. And in this extreme case, there are some people like myself, and there's quite a lot of people like me, that absolutely need T3 only because the issues are so extreme um, that you can't you can't manage with T4. I mean, I get sick within a week if I take a tiny amount, even if I don't reduce my T3. And that's just a fact. It just happens. I've tested it about 10 times. I'm so glad you said that because I have spoken to people who had a doctor once that, you know, kind of was progressive and gave them T3 and they felt good. And then years later, they got, you know, chumped by another doc and got put on, you know, T4, T3, and they just don't feel well. And they remember, I felt better on T3 only. Message to everyone of their doctors have got to get on the fact that there is another treatment option for patients. People like Paul and I are thriving only because of T3. I think I've been on T3 for about eight years now. Um, and it, it's amazing. I, your book is great because it's all, we're going to get into a little dosing here. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I love about you, and we're going to talk about NDT and stuff like that too, but, and, and the book is very specific, but one of the things I've noticed is if there, sometimes there's a doctor who's open with T3, but the dosing is a little bit too aggressive at first from what I think you and I would suggest as patients who've been through it, which is what I love about your book, Recovering with T3, and in this one and in general, I appreciate your conservative approach. 
to this. Um, people sometimes are sensitive. I, I recently I had to increase my T3. I was doing an experiment to see, you know, how I was operating on a low dose. Didn't work out well. I know I needed to increase. I know I needed to probably double my dose. I accidentally went a little bit too fast and I had to stop and dial back and, you know, kind of piecemeal it up. And now I'm where I need to be. So even in my situation, someone who's got T3 in their body, who's doing pretty well, probably was subpar. Even I had to be tinkering to increase. You don't want to do it too fast. So I think that's a great message that you are sending in your book, particularly with T3. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that, about the dosing? You know, I, I, I know we can get into, you know, how many times, and also you mentioned, and this is really interesting, you found that taking a little bit of T3, like five micrograms, five or 10 times a day is not really the right way to look at it. Can you touch on the T3 dosing as much as you can to give us a snapshot of how to go forward? Okay. Uh, it's, um, it's very individual. Uh, it really is very individual. I mean, yeah. I've, um, I've worked I've worked with so many people now, Al, over a long time. I mean, hundreds, probably literally thousands now. And some people I've worked with a very short amount of time. And some people I've worked with for like two years. So I've worked a lot on this and I've learned a lot. The books have got the information in, but my head's got a lot more. And um, there are some people that do... Some I I know one lady, um, quite a few years ago now, that basically her life was 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 terrible, um, but she got to the point on about I think it was about seven point five micrograms of T three for the circadian dose, the nighttime dose to help her cortisol, and almost nothing in the daytime, and that was enough to get her back to doing triathlons, right? Wow. So she got from real despair and incapability of doing anything um, to that kind of dose level, and that just gave her her life back. Now, she didn't get there immediately. She went through some some uh, transition where she was on a bit more, but then she eventually, when she worked on other things, she dialed back a bit, and she, she was on that, and she was really well. I know other people um, that, honestly, that they don't really get well until they're on seriously high doses. And the, the, I don't want ever, I don't want to ever even think about that when I start working with people. But if they continue to respond well and they're completely fine, they they have no ECG issues with their heart. They have really good. Uh, blood pressure, everything looks good. Every single thing looks good. The calcium levels are good. Everything looks good. There's no overdosing. Sometimes these people get to 150 to 200 micrograms a day of T3. And that's the other extreme. Most of the people are kind of in between. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm six foot one. I'm quite active. And I'm on 60 micrograms. That's a kind of, I would say that's a reasonable dose. It's, it, it's not a lot. It's not, it's not a modest dose. You're on a lot less than that. When we're all different and whatever you do, you don't know where you're going with it. Right. That's the thing. You don't know what the person knows and you can't assume based on generality. 
So you have to treat the person and be respectful about their body and be very, very careful. Right. Yeah, I really, I really love this message because, again, this is what I tell people too. It is so individual. Like there, like you said, there's someone who might need. I know someone that just takes five micrograms twice a day. They're good to go. Mm-hmm. And other people, like you said, who have to. I know someone who's sixty six years old and and fit and everything. They have to take like a hundred micrograms a day. And I really appreciate the comment you made about the reason to go slowly is because, again, you may find that you get to a point where then things are better because now you've got three, T3 status. Maybe all these signals are starting to be sent in the right way throughout the body, and you get to a point where you become kind of efficient and you can even decrease. So I really love your message about being conservative and slow just for the audience so they have an idea. Um, can you tell us how you dose the 60 micrograms? Me uh, personally? Yourself? Yeah, you just personally, how, how you do it every day. Like okay. when do you take what? Okay, um, I have three doses. I think most people on T3, when they're using it for a full replacement, they're not just using it to top up T4. And many people do well on T4 with a little bit of T3, which is uh, uh, similar to using NDT. Um, But those people that can't cope with NDT, can't cope with T4, and have to rely on T3, usually dose it three times a day. Some do twice a day if they're lucky. Some do four times a day. Um, There are some variations, but I do 20 micrograms. um, I take it at 3 3 a.m. in the morning, right in the middle of the night. I don't even use an alarm clock now. I just wake up. I kind of look at the clock. If it's like 3 a.m. or maybe 3.30 or something, or there or thereabouts, I take it now. In the old days, I used to be very rigorous with very with timing. My body's a lot more tolerant now. I take that then because I need that. Without it, I get very low cortisol. And that's that's a bigger topic, but that's when I take that one. So I take 20 micrograms in the middle of the night. I take 20 micrograms around 11 a.m. in the morning, and then I take another 20 micrograms around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And I can be kind of lax. I can forget sometimes and realize, oh, it's 12, it's half past 12 or it's 1 o'clock. Sure. I forgot, I've forgotten it. I'll take it now. And my body won't even notice that difference anymore. Yeah, me too. And um, so, again, Paul mentioned waking up and taking it early in the morning. This is a protocol he invented and came up with that um, helps him with his adrenal issues. And again, that production, the cortisol production window is usually between, you know, like 4 and 7 a.m. or something like that. So your reason to take the T3 that early, and of course, this is getting the weeds on that subject, but I want to describe this is not for all people on T3, but for people with severe adrenal issues, the adrenals need T3 in order to produce cortisol. So your hack and your incredible discovery is it really can help people to wake up and take it early to get that cortisol going. So I just want to explain why you do it at 3 a.m. And of course, you have a whole book on this called The Circadian T3 Method of Dosing. So if people have severe adrenal issues, before you go to hydrocortisone, before you you know go down this road, you might want to look into this. For people that are curious about me, I wake up in the morning around 6 a.m. and I take 10 micrograms. Then I take about um, five, five, six hours later. Sometimes I take 7.5. And then I'll take maybe 2.5 later on. And again, you know, 
I'm like you, where if I miss it or I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, an hour late, it's not a big deal at this time. But when you're starting off, it's really good to set the iPhone uh, alerts for the same time every day and just yep. be as religious as possible. Um, so I love your conservative approach. Now, when it comes to, like you said, there are people that can do well on T3 and uh, on T4 only. Um, regardless of how you're feeling, I think both Paul and I would suggest that you always still get a free T3 test and reverse T3 and make sure that you are optimal there. What What are some things you found in, let's go to NDT dosing, natural desiccated thyroid, mm-hmm. that's Armour Thyroid, Nature Thyroid, Canada's Urfa, you can get it anywhere, Thyroid S in Thailand. Okay, so it's all really the same thing. Um, what are some of the things you've noticed there that, that seem to be important when looking at NDT dosing? Um, well, I think the NDT obviously contains a T3 content as well, and it's in a ratio, ratio of about four uh, units of T4 to one unit of T3. That isn't what the human thyroid produces. That is what the pig's thyroid produces, right? Human thyroid produces about eight to one. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a different ratio. It's higher content of T3. And actually, that's fine. That's a really good, good thing to do. Because once someone is on thyroid hormone, the thyroid gland is no longer acting as the little control system anymore. And this is really kind of complicated stuff. It's probably more complicated than anything I've written in any of my books. Because the research that's come out on this in the last five years is, is mind-blowing. But basically, um, when someone has thyroid problems, when the thyroid gland doesn't work as it used to do, and many people have that problem, people have got Hashimoto's thyroiditis certainly have it, and people have got had a thyroidectomy of any kind certainly have it and other people have just poor thyroid performance they have it too when the thyroid gland stops um managing the system well um strange things happen um let's explain this a bit more the thyroid gland interacts with the way the pituitary works the pituitary produces tsh which stimulates the thyroid gland the other thing the TSH does is it controls how many deodenase enzymes are made in all the cells. So it, in fact, interacts in terms of what the conversion is like. And the thyroid is brilliant. When the thyroid is working well, it tends to um, keep TSH in a healthy person reasonably high, the, what, would be, what would be considered the top end of the range. When someone's on thyroid treatment, all bets are off. It changes completely. Usually the TSH drops into range and people recommend it goes to the bottom end of the range. That changes the conversion ratio. So it's no wonder that people on T4 who are basically said to be properly medicated with a low TSH are not getting the conversion they want because the thyroid gland itself wouldn't work like that. It is very complicated stuff. I wasn't planning to get into this. No, that's um, okay. But I I was uh, under the impression too. I mean, so in talking about T4 only, if you're on T4 only – a red flag would be that your TSH would be fully suppressed. That would actually suggest hyperthyroidism, which is the no. reason all of these doctors are so afraid of a suppressed mm, TSH mm, with mm. the NDT, right? Because they look back and they go, oh, back in the 40, uh, back 40 years ago, we used to pummel people with T4 to get rid of their nodules, and then yeah. they had heart issues. And so they say that a suppressed TSH 
leads to these things that the doctors in the know say, no, that's that's based off of some old, weird, extra T4 dosing protocol back in the day. Yeah, that's just rubbish. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just old research. I mean, if, if people got suppressed TSH and they're not on thyroid treatment, yeah, that means something. That means they've got probably, they're probably hypothyroid. But once people are, once people are on thyroid treatment, it changes. So a suppressed TSH when someone's on any thyroid treatment doesn't mean they're hypothyroid at all. You can have zero TSH on T4 or NDT or any thyroid treatment as long as the person isn't hyper, as long as they don't have high, very high FT3. The research is absolutely clear now. It's come out over the last several years. That doesn't mean you're hyper. And most doctors are operating under the principle that it does mean they're hyper. And that's just wrong. In fact, they'd be better off having most of their patients on zero TSH and making sure the person doesn't feel hyper, making sure the person doesn't have high FT3, with the exception of people on T3 only. Um, and so, yeah, this information, this research has not reached medical training, it has not reached the majority of doctors, and most of the doctors are operating with the wrong assumptions. Well, what I was trying to say previously is that NDT is actually a good thing because it's got a four to one ratio. And so it actually replaces some of that loss conversion ratio. It's great that it's four to one, even if it's not eight to one. Yeah. NDT, if you if people can out there can get away with, you know, having NDT work for them, it's one of the best solutions. If you, for religious reasons or other reasons, don't want to use desiccated pork, then we go to what is T4, T3 combination. It can be compounded at a compounded pharmacy specifically to you. I do know people on that um, based on religious issues or someone who's a vegan doesn't want to contribute to killing animals. Okay, so mm-hmm. there's that option. Um, I want to just chat briefly again or I mentioned. So what my doctor has found, what I see, what you've seen is oftentimes when people are optimized, and it's not a goal to suppress the TSH, but a lot of people do get optimized on on thyroid hormone and um, NDT, and then their TSH goes to 0.01. There are still doctors out there, Paul, it kills me because some of them I've even like been interviewed by, and who in this space still are like, nah, we, we want to see the TSH at like one. They're still micromanaging this F and TSH over here. And that, so can yeah. you just, can you touch on that a little bit about why that's not a problem? The, res- the research is, the researches have been done. I mean, it's, there's, there's several papers out there written. I actually specifically named the papers okay. in the new book. I mean, there are research, really good research studies done by proper scientists and a lot of the so-called thyroid research that's out there has not been done properly, not with proper scientific studies. But there's real research out there. It's absolutely clear cut that suppressed TSH when someone is on thyroid treatment means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It's not good. It's not bad. It's completely harmless as long as the person isn't hyper. They have no hyper symptoms. They feel good. They the doctor can test their EC, EKG. The doctor can test their blood pressure. Everything else, and their FT3 isn't over the top of the range. Now that last statement applies to people on levothyroxine treatment and possibly people on 
NDT or T4, T3. In my opinion, it does not apply to people on T3 only. There's a really good reason for that. Correct. Because also, I mean, well, in my way of looking at it in a non-medical way or just logically is that when you're doing T3 only, you're taking all of that conversion, all that thing out of the picture. So oftentimes a patient's T3 is towards the top of the range, sometimes need to be over. Um, Let me ask you this. Over all the years you've been on T3, um, have you seen, is it pretty consistent for you in terms of, you know, when, do you even get tested anymore? And if you do, and you see your free T3, do you kind of know for yourself, like, ah, oh, you know, I do best when my free T3 is here, or is that, have you not seen a common theme there at all? You just go by how you feel and temps and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, my, 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 I think in, in the UK, um, most, uh, doctors operating in the the National Health Service have to do a yearly uh, thyroid lab test, and uh, and that. But people on T3 they tend to do FT3 as well. My the range in the UK for um, FT3 is something like and get and remind guessing here a little bit is 3.3 to 6.6 pmols per liter okay that's not so much of a guess really it's pretty accurate um and my nose usually comes out as about 8.8 or 9 okay so i don't bother trying to fiddle it by not taking any t3 for 24 hours beforehand because i don't care anymore right. i'm beyond caring to be honest if i just take <laughs> well, it i just normally, want to i want to explain to the audience what you mean you're not trying to trick anything to make it look lower no. for your doctor to be okay with no, it you're I'm like not, F no, it, no, whatever no. it that's just what i meant you, yeah you've been whenever it comes of it i'll fight it okay so <laughs> most of the doctors that deal with me they know better. They at this know point. <laughs> me. I explain it to them, and I'm, I've been very, very lucky over the last ten years to have smart doctors. The, the last, the guy I've got now, I'm not going to name him. He's in the UK, and he basically said to me, "You're in a different cohort. You're in a different group. I get that." So he does the test because he has to do it legally, and we both know it's going to come out harm. We both ignore it. Um, it doesn't tell me anything one way or another. My dose has been stable for wow, well, ten years probably. I don't. In fact, sometimes when I don't feel well and I change it, I've changed it for the wrong reasons. There's been something else going on. I've been super stressed about some family issue or something or other, and that's messed with it. And I always end up going back to the dose I was on to start with. So my system's super stable. Um, and obviously, I, I work on other things as well. I don't just do that. I have to make sure I'm getting enough nutrients. I, I make sure I'm really good on that. And I don't let myself get low on things. Um, but yeah, super stable. And, 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 but, you know, TSH is it, the research is out. There's so much great research. If only the research would get back to the people who think they've been taught how to treat thyroid problems because they're so out of date. It's there. It's in black and white. Really good research. Let's talk. Um, so on the note of, um, okay, so T3 only, both of us just described what our dosages was like. We both take direct T3. We don't take slow-release T3. One of the reasons um, in your book and that I learned from you uh, or why I also decided to go down that road, and I think it, ah, God, I, I have to say, I think it's better, although I know people and slow release can work well, 
is because slow release is a steady, even-handed situation, and you talk about a tailored dose strategy. And I, in my experience with experimenting with T3 dosing over these years, to me, it's so much more profound to use direct T3 to, again, like you say, decide when you need it and when you don't. You might need less in the evening or less in the day, and you yourself don't take a nighttime dose because that affects you in a certain way where it doesn't others. So can you talk to us about why direct T3 might be more of the beneficial or preferred path initially or in general? I mean, I just want to hear your thoughts on direct T3 versus slow release. Okay. Um, okay, this comes up quite a lot for me. Um, if someone only needs a very, very tiny amount of extra T3 and they're mostly taking T4 medication or they're taking NDT, um, then slow release can be a useful little top-up. But if you don't know how much T3 you need, um, I would say every time you're better off starting with standard T3. Because you can get the tablets and you could change the doses really quickly yourself and try and figure out what works for you. Um, for those people that do that and find out that they only need 10 micrograms of T3 a day total, maybe, maybe they can get away with having slow-release T3, which usually has to be compounded in a capsule which means once you've got it, if you want to change the dose, you either have to take the powder out and fiddle around with it or you have to have <laughs> a new prescription. It's not very quick to change it if you don't like the dose. You know, you're kind right. of stuck with it. Whereas tablets of T3, you can really experiment well. You can fine-tune it extremely well. And in some cases, um, you really need the fast-release T3 for, for, for improving cortisol levels, which works directly with the, the pituitary particularly, um, rather than the adrenal glands. Um, you really need that fast-release in the night. I, if I took slow-release T3 in the night for my cortisol, I would get low cortisol, I guarantee it. I need that fast-release. Yeah. And for people that are taking a, a much bigger dose of T3 – it would be incredibly difficult to dose the slow-release T3 because it, you can't control yourself, the peaks and troughs of it. It could mm -hmm. peak when you don't want it to peak. Right. And if it's not as peaking, if, it's, if you can manage that, those peaks to make sure you don't get hyper, the troughs could be too low. It's very, very, very difficult to manage, whereas with standard T3, you have so much more control over it. Yes, I have, I've heard this so much from people who've been put on slow release and then they go back to, you know, they go to direct T3, which is what you just said. They'll get a terrible peak that won't feel good and then a low. It's just not steady enough for them in terms of, like you said, when they need it, when they need it. Um, let me ask you, you talked about it in recovering with T3, and I just want to hear your thoughts on this overall. Does it matter whether someone's on NDT that has some T3 in it or T3 only? Can you tell us about what you've learned about exercise and T3? I know at one point, I believe you said something like, hey, you know, it's good to exercise because it creates a need for T3. Can you can you talk about exercise and T3 and what you've learned? Yeah, um, well, I think... I think, I think people just – exercise stimulates the system, right? Exercise stimulates, particularly stimulates the, 
the hypothalamic pituitary axis, it helps cortisol levels. And cortisol and thyroid hormone, uh, they work together like partners, right? The T3, um, T3 makes cortisol in the cells work better, and cortisol makes T3 work better in the cells. They work together. And if you're, you're, you're staying active and you're staying fit, Regardless of what you can do, you need to do what what suits you. You can't go crazy when you're not fit. You need to be sure. very careful. But it just it does stimulate the system. It does stimulate, and that is it's so important to get the the cortisol aspect of this problem sorted out. Now, I, I obviously I do the nighttime dose of T3, the CT3M, but I also exercise, and the exercise actually helps a lot. I mean, it always has for me. Um, I do think it's important. I think if someone's very sedentary, they don't do a lot of exercise, they're pulling that side of the equation down a little bit. I'm not saying they can't be really well, but I think it helps, okay? And and we're not saying go do a triathlon. We're saying, hey, if all you can do is take a two-block walk right now or whatever you can do, incorporating a little bit into your life throughout this process works. And, of course, if you're – can't get out of bed and you've got adrenal issues, you know, of course you do what you do until you start to feel yeah. a little bit better. I also suggest to everybody, you know, one of the things is <clears throat> when you've been so depressed and debilitated for so long, and then you start to get a little bit of energy and, you know, people are so excited about burning the fat and then they, they do too much. They go, they go do too much right away. Mm. And so, you know, I think both of us would suggest take it slowly, ease into it, this newfound energy, just be careful because you might need to just ease in to this process of exercise. Um, I know I had to take it a little slower. Now I'm I'm at full capacity in every way. Great. What are some other? I also just want to mention too, just on a personal level, uh, and we don't have to get into this, but both Paul and I, you know, when you don't have any T3 <laughs> in your body. Look, it's depression. It's not just the physical symptoms. This this has uh it really ruins your whole life. So, however you out there have to get optimal T3 levels is really going to make the difference in your life. And so, even if you're out there and you're listening to this and you suspect you have a thyroid problem or not, everybody should get the full panel and see where they're at and 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 manage this. What are some other things that we may not know or that maybe came to your uh came to the forefront in the past few years, you know, in writing this new book, The Thyroid uh, Patient's Manual. What are some things, um, like the discovery of the enzymatic test? That was really fascinating. Is there anything else that we should know that we might not or something that needs to be dunked, debunked in terms of dosing? Um, it's probably quite a lot, actually, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Yeah, it's a loaded question, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I talk of, I mean, I spent... I did never intend to back 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 step a little bit here. I never intended to write this book, right? It was no. I thought I'd done when I finished the last two, and I was finished with it. Um, and I kept. I was in and out of forums. I kind of cut myself off them for a long time, and but I was still aware that there were so many thyroid patients that were still struggling, still getting terrible, terrible treatment. And some of them didn't need T3. They were on other treatments, and they were still getting terrible treatment. And I can't believe it. I'm thinking, okay, this is this is years after I wrote Recovering T3 book. And, and things are actually probably, if not, if not getting worse, certainly getting no better. 
And um, I started to look again for the first time at what was happening out there with the research. And I mean, my background's a little bit of science. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm interested in that stuff. And I was completely surprised with what what come along and uh, how how it was being ignored. And um, I mean, I didn't know, for instance, that how important the thyroid gland itself was. I just thought the thyroid gland was this thing that that made T4 and T3, and if it didn't do it anymore, we could just take T4 and T3, and everything would be okay. Well, right. that's not the case. The- yeah, it's actually very, I just, and I want you to detail it, but for people that don't know this, it's actually preferable to still have the gland intact, regardless of whether the system is, quote, yeah. working or not. And I know you're going to get into that. I just want yeah. to share. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the, the base of the thyroid, most people think, um, I think a lot of people think, still think, unfortunately, including some doctors, that T4 is the only hormone that's important. That's very sad that that case is that thing that view is <laughs> held by doctors, but in some doctors actually think that's the case. But um, the thyroid gland makes T4 and T3 and a few other things, but it actually makes 25% of the T3 in the body, and most of that comes from conversion. And um, most people think, oh, the liver does the conversion or the muscles do the conversion. And yes, they do some of it, but the thyroid gland is the most single important converter. And when people lose that conversion capability, when they lose that thyroid gland capability, and some people lose it dramatically when they have a thyroidectomy, and other people lose it slowly through Hashimoto's, they lose an awful lot of that conversion capability. So it means they won't ever convert T4 the same as they ever did before. That's important. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until about two and a half, three years ago when I started to look at the research. And then I started to contact some of the guys that had done the research. Um, that's, that's And that is why a lot of patients who've got thyroidectomies and then they're put on Synthroid and then over time they feel crappy and then they might get moved to NDT and then it goes towards T3 only and that would make sense yeah. because of what you just said there. It's, again, a further inability to convert. Yeah. Um, and and just for people out there, if you're curious about a podcast I did with Dr. Forsman on hyperthyroidism, it's episode 163. He talks about the importance of the actual gland, and if you don't have to get it removed, then then don't, and why. So so people can hear more about that. I am uh, honestly, I, I I think I said it in the last one, but you know, I read your book, it saved my life, and then I remember years later, I'm fine, and I was like, you know what? I don't know, like, what does Paul Robinson look like? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I'll Google him, mm-hmm. and so I like, I like went on YouTube and I googled you, and I mean, really, audience, I'm I'm serious when I say this. You had a couple of videos up there, and I just started crying when I saw you talking mm-hmm. because here I am, like, looking at the guy that saved my life. I say this all the time. Your book saved my life. I refer it to everybody. Um, that's just recovering with T3, but also. So the thyroid patient's manual, um, which is out now, his new one, pick it up. It's all about dosing with all of the different thyroid hormones. And that's just what it's about. Gives you enough background information and enough to really go down the road. To have recovering with T3 and the thyroid patient's manual in your library is essential if you are going down this road. I don't care how great your doctor is. As Paul and I would tell anyone, you have to learn about this too. You can't just rely on a doctor. 
hopefully you'll get a good one, but you need to work with them. And like we've just said, a lot of this T3 dosing is kind of on your own. And a doctor may not be able to help you with it. You might need to help them, uh, you know, understand your, your methods. So what would you, what's the most important thing in this journey, you know, that you would like to share? I mean, there's so many things, but what would you like to leave our audience with in terms of this book, the thyroid patient's manual? Yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I wrote it because I think I wrote, I've ex- expressed this in the book. Basically people need to be in the driver's seat with their own health. Mm-hmm. They can't go to a doctor's surgery and hand over their health completely and just trust what's coming because often it doesn't go the way it needs to go. It's particularly true with thyroid issues. So get in the driver's seat, at least know where the controls are, understand the vehicle enough that you can tell if the doctor is taking it in the right direction at the right speed for you. That is such great advice. And we will, of course, put all of the links to connect with Paul. Uh, he's got a Recovering with T3 website and forum, as well as books on Amazon. We'll put the links to the show notes. Um, do you coach people privately if someone wants to have a conversation with you about their dosing? Yeah, I do. I don't do very many, but I do. And, and, um, well, the way I do it, it's pretty intense. So I work to really help people get well. So I, that's why I don't do very many. But yes, I do. Okay, great. Thank you. So honestly, I, you know, what we would do without your work, I wouldn't even be here. Probably wouldn't have ever even been able to write my book if it weren't for uh, your guidance and yours. So again, um, Paul Robinson, Recovering with T3, the CT3M Circadian T3 Dosing Method, and his latest book, The Thyroid Patient's Manual, Um, From hypothyroidism to good health using T4, NDT, T3, or T4, T3 treatments. Thank you so much for coming back on our show and sharing your wisdom with the world. That's great. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Al. All right. We'll see everyone next week. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress. Whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, and when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that 
foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy, stressful day, this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events, such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.